this morning we're kicking off an eight-week series on why we exist as a church and why we do the things that we do. Typically, if you're new to Park Community Church, we go through books of the Bible and kind of take it verse by verse or section by section. We've been in Matthew since December, and we are to Matthew chapter 13. So that kind of tells you how we typically walk through Scripture. Matthew has 28 chapters. We're going to come back to that later on, but we're pausing on that series for for eight weeks this fall, and we're kind of engaging some of the questions. Why do we sing? Why do we pray? Why do we preach? Why do we give? Why do we take communion? And we we think it's important to rediscover the why and to engage some of those questions that many of you have. And so this morning, we're going to start with why do we exist? Even in in a room this size, if we were to ask that question, why do we exist, there would be many different answers. And some of them would be similar, but we would word things differently. And so this is foundational. As we go into this series, why do we fill in the blank, we want to start with why do we exist because if we lose our purpose, if we lose our mission, if we forget why we exist as a church, it doesn't really matter why we give, why we sing, why we preach, why we take communion. Those things lose their significance if we lose sight of why we exist. I learned the importance of why the summer of 2005. The summer of 2005 started out for me very poorly. Brittany and I had been dating for a while, and we broke up. Well, she broke up with me, so the summer started very poorly for me. And she went off, and she was kind of touring the country and the world, singing in a choir, and I was stuck in Waconia, Minnesota, building houses. I was framing houses for the summer, and so I was waking up every morning at 6 a.m., and I was on the job site by 7, and I was like the grunt hire. I unloaded the trailer, got all the tools out for the other guys, and they would build the homes, and I like pushed a broom and swept up the mess behind them. And one of my primary jobs was to wrap Tyvek around the house. Now, some of you probably know what Tyvek is, and that makes sense to you. Um, I am not like, I don't like manly man projects. And so building houses for a couple summers, it was, it was a good experience and I learned a lot, but I didn't know what, what Tyvek was. And I didn't have the audacity to ask, ask my coworkers what Tyvek was because I didn't want to look like the fool, even though they all knew it. They could clearly tell because I held a hammer by the wrong end. And so, so my, one of my primary jobs was to wrap, wrap Tyvek. It's that, it's that white stuff that goes around the house before the siding goes on. And for an entire month, I was, just, I was just in the dumps. I would wake up and I'm like, ah, oh, Brittany broke up with me. I don't know what I'm doing with my life and I'm going to my job. I'm going to work from 7 until 6 p.m., 7 p.m. We would work late into the night and I'm going to be doing this meaningless job wrapping Tyvek around the house. And I had no idea why Tyvek existed. And then I went on a trip after doing this for a month, every day going to work and in my mind wasting time. This is a pointless endeavor they're paying me, I'm thankful for that, but, but I'm not contributing anything to the world. I have no purpose. And so I went on this trip and I was explaining my frustration to an older, wiser person who's been around houses and knows things. And he said, oh, Tyvek is really important. It's a, it creates a barrier. It's a, it, it helps the house breathe, so it keeps water from getting in behind the siding and it lets moisture out of the house so that you don't have mold growing in between the siding and the OSB or the buffalo board. And it it dawned on me, what I'm doing every day actually has a purpose. Now, some of you probably think that's obvious, but to me, this was mind-blowing, and it was life-changing for that summer. I went back for the next two months of the summer, July and August, and I gladly Tyvek houses because I understood that Tyvek had a purpose. 
I think oftentimes we can start to think this way about the church, where we forget why we exist. And so we gather and we go about our church duties and our church existence, and and, and we forget the purpose of why we're doing what we're doing. And, And we all know, if you think about your own examples, that if you forget the purpose of something, if you don't know why it exists, it's just meaningless, is it not? I mean, Tyvek around the house wasn't meaningless, but I felt dry and I felt purposeless because I had not known the reason why it existed. So this morning, I want us to just come back to the basics. Why does the church exist? This isn't going to be anything new for most of you. The text that we're going to look at isn't a new text for most of you. Hopefully, most of you know this, and this all feels like review. It's not like meat. It's not, it's not steak and potato, potatoes teaching this morning, but it's like a salad. It, it prepares your body. It, it, we're coming back to some of the basics here because it's foundational and important for us. And so I want you to stand as we look at our text for today. I'll read it from Matthew chapter 28, 16 through 20. A very familiar passage that many of you have heard many times, and I've preached on here probably five or six times. I want this passage and the reason of why we exist as a church to come off your lips so clearly and so smoothly that it's like saying skull in an hour from now when you're watching the Vikings game, okay? So here we go, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would make this word come alive to us today, that we would understand what it means to be and make disciples. In your name we pray, amen. You can have a seat. So here's our text this morning. We're just going to camp in this text. You've heard it many times, and, and hopefully... Hopefully you actually know the answer to this because it's on our website, it's on our bulletin, this is what we communicate. Why does Park Community Church exist? The answer comes from this text. I'm not going to have you answer it out loud because you probably forget, right? Well, here's the answer. It's to be and make disciples. Very basic. It's right here in this text. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. This is the great commission that he gave to his followers. Go and make disciples. Here at Park Community Church, our mission statement is to be and make disciples of Jesus. We added in B because Jesus calls his disciples to go and make disciples, but we don't want to take for granted that we are disciples and that we need to become disciples and that we need to grow in our apprenticing Jesus. To be a disciple means to be a follower, to be an apprentice, to be somebody who who lives their life wanting to imitate their master. So it's very basic for us as a church, but we have to remember the reason for our existence, the universal church, all churches around the world who believe in Jesus and, and want to uphold scripture and unpack scripture really have the same mission. The mission of the church of Jesus is to make disciples of Jesus. All churches word it differently. Some have different purpose statements, mission statements, vision statements. At Park Community Church, we wanted to be very basic. Our mission is to be and make disciples of Jesus. That's why we exist. Now again, many people would answer that question different ways. In this room, we would all answer it differently. 
if we sat in a community group of 12 to 18 people, probably everyone would have a little different spin or take on it. If you go out into the community around us, everyone has a different take on it. But I think it's important that those who call Park Community Church their church home, that we know we have one, one reason for existence. It's to be and make disciples of Jesus, to become followers of him, and to make more followers, more followers of him, to be apprentices of Jesus, and to make more apprentices of Jesus. This is why we exist. Now, there's many different things that the church does, right? I mean, look at, look at this passage. So 19, Jesus says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. How many things has Jesus commanded his followers? Anybody know? Good, I don't either. I haven't counted up all of his commands. But there's a lot, right? If you go through scripture, there is a lot of commands to Jesus' disciples. Feed the hungry. Care for the hurting. Look after the refugee, the sojourner. Heal the sick. Care for the widow. Care for the orphan. Preach, proclaim, all of these different things. And, and so many churches will get caught up in trying to, trying to kind of narrow themselves down into a certain specific ministry. We're, we're going to be a church who feeds the hungry. We're going to be a church who, who clothes the naked. We're going to be a church who cares for the hurting and the sick. And those are all good things. Jesus has commanded his followers to observe all that he has commanded, right? But as a church, we want to be laser-focused on our primary purpose is to be and make disciples. So a part of discipleship, a part of following Jesus is to learn to do and to actually do all that he has commanded, but it takes a community, no single person, no single follower of Jesus can do all of what Jesus has commanded, can, can take care of all of the problems in the world. And so this is a communal thing. And as a community, we all have different passions, don't we? We all have different drives. We all have different spheres of influence that have different needs. Some of you are connected to single parents and, and your heart breaks for single parents and you want to help them raise their kids and, and get their resources. Some of you are connected to the widows, to the elderly, and, and your heart breaks for them and you want to help them. Some of you really want to spend your time hanging out at coffee shops and breweries and, and telling people about Jesus in that setting because that's more fun and awesome. And, and Jesus cares about that too. And so all of us are, are unique and different in our spheres of influence. And Jesus has called us to be about his business in all of those spaces but as a church, we have to keep our mission semi-general, right? It's to be and make disciples of Jesus. It's not to start orphanages, though orphanages are a good thing around the world. It's not solely to care for the widows, though Jesus calls us to care for the widows. It's not solely to make sure that everybody in our community has food on their table, though that's a call for Christians. So, so as, 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 a, as a corporate body, we keep our answer to this question general. Why do we exist to be and make disciples of Jesus? So wherever you are, whatever sphere of influence God has you in, you are called to go out into that sphere of influence and be a disciple maker, somebody who loves Jesus and follows Jesus in that sphere of influence and somebody who calls other people into relationship with Jesus in that sphere of influence. This is why we exist, to be and make disciples 
And I, I want to take a minute and look at this passage and just look at what, what defines a disciple. Okay, so we know it's a follower or an apprentice of Jesus, but I think this text gives us some substance to what a disciple is and how a disciple looks. Three things. Disciples have a new identity, a new authority, and a new priority. This passage reveals for us that to be a follower of Jesus or an apprentice of Jesus, that means that you have a new identity, a new authority, and a new priority. Look at what Jesus says here. Verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the first clue there, our new identity. Jesus calls people into relationship with him, and he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is a new identity. This means that when we choose to follow Jesus, when we surrender our lives to him, we've been filled with his Holy Spirit, we've been identified with him, we've been immersed in fellowship with the Godhead, with God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that you are not alone. You're not just an a, a, a individual person going about life and all of your relationships are these earthly relationships that you can see. You're actually in relationship with God the Father. You've been baptized into, we practiced baptism a couple weeks ago, and that's a public profession of faith, yes, but it's also this reminder that we are in fellowship with God himself, that we have a new identity, that, that we are sons and daughters of the living God, that we are brothers and sisters of one another, that nobody's alone, and that you've been sent out into the world as a neighbor and a witness. This new identity ought to change everything about your life. If you're a disciple, it means that you're not defined by what the world says about you or, or what the world often tries to define people by. You're not defined by your sexuality. You're not defined by your socioeconomic standing. You're not defined by your ability as a parent or your failure as a parent. Amen, parents? Is that good news? You're, you're not defined by your career or your inability to advance in your career. You're not defined by the car you drive, the house that you live in, the neighborhood in which you live. You're not defined by things that the world often tries to define people by and that the world often tries to define themselves by. You're not defined by what the world says you are or aren't. You're also not defined by what your own insecurities and flesh speak to you. This is good news. How many of you in your own insecurities, in your own flesh, do you, do you hear this little voice, this, this, this voice trying to call you, call out your identity as a failure, a fake, a fraud? You don't measure up. You're not as funny as the person down the street. You're not as charming as your other coworker. You, 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 you're not as capable. You're not as, or maybe you think, I'm more funny. I'm more charming. I'm more capable. And there's a growing sense of pride. Well, if we are a disciple of Jesus, we have a new identity, and we're not, we're not defined by our, our own insecurities or our own pride or by what the world says. We're defined by what God says of us. We are baptized into relationship with our Heavenly Father. Amen, church? This is good news 
we exist as a church to be and make disciples, to help people see their identity as sons and daughters of God, brothers and sisters of one another, and neighbors and witnesses to the world. So in whatever endeavors we do, whatever spheres of influence you are in, you as a disciple, remember it's to be and make disciples, you need to continually remind yourself, I have a new identity I'm not the piece of garbage that my that, that little fleshly voice is telling me that I am right now. I'm not what the world says I need to be. I'm God's. I'm his son. I'm his daughter. He's for me. He's in me. He's with me. I have a new identity. I'm chosen. I'm beloved. I'm holy. I am righteous. I am an overcomer. This is the core essence of what it means to be a disciple, a new identity. Secondly, we have a new authority. Verse 18, Jesus came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So Jesus has all authority where? In heaven and on earth. Is there anywhere else? Okay, so Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. We have a new authority. Now, if we are a disciple of Jesus and if we, if we have a new identity, if we've been baptized into him, all authority, all the authority that Jesus has in heaven and on earth has been given to us. He is our new authority. We bow our knee to him. In fact, it's interesting if you look at this passage, verse 17. So the 11 disciples, verse 16, tells us that the 11 disciples met Jesus on this mountain. That's the original 12 minus Judas who betrayed Jesus and then took his own life. The 11 disciples are with Jesus. Verse 17, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Isn't that just comforting? That anytime we gather, anytime the disciples of Jesus are together, if there's two or more, it's very likely that one is worshiping and one is doubting. One is doing well and one is struggling. One is rejoicing, one is mourning. This, the Greek word here for worship, it doesn't mean to sing, although singing was a part of their worship. It means to bow the knee or to fall prostrate on your face down in front of Jesus. And so they, they're demonstrating that they have this new authority. To be a disciple means that, that Jesus is your king, that you bow the knee. That's part of worship. It's surrender and submission to Jesus as king. Some of them worshiped. Some of them bowed their knee. Some of them acknowledged Jesus as their new authority, and some of them doubted. So, so church, if you're struggling, you're in good company. The disciples, the apostles, those who walked with Jesus, who saw his miracles, who saw him on the cross, who saw him put in the tomb, who saw the empty tomb and his physical body there in front of them after he resurrected, they doubted. Your doubts are okay here. But the point is that, that they learned over time, they didn't perpetually doubt. They, they kind of waffled back and forth, worship and doubt, but they learned over time, Jesus is my new authority. I bow my knee to King Jesus. Disciples of Jesus listen to him. They take his word, his teaching as truth and as authority. They follow Jesus over popular opinion. They follow Jesus over common wisdom. And sometimes common wisdom is God's wisdom, but not always. They follow Jesus over cultural influence. 
See, a disciple has a new authority. It, it, it's not what the world says is normal. What, it's not what the norm, world says is right. It's not what popular opinion or mass culture says is the new standard of the day. Our authority is King Jesus. And so what he tells us, we surrender to and submit to and we bow the knee to. And then lastly, disciples of Jesus have a new priority. That priority is to make more disciples Look at Jesus says, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. He's the authority, so he's our authority. We submit to him. He also gives us authority. Go and make disciples of all the nations. That's our new priority. Your new priority is not to advance your career, though you may need to do that. It's not your primary priority. Your new priority isn't to work hard enough to be able to get a new car or get into a new home, or whatever it may be. Your priority, if you are a disciple of Jesus, is to make more disciples of Jesus. And, and actually, in the Greek here, this reads more in the Greek, the original writing, as verse 19, when he says, go therefore and make disciples. Oftentimes, we think of this as like a call for missionaries. They go around the world to do missions work, to make disciples. In the Greek, this reads more as, as you are going. It's a call to all followers of Jesus that as you are going. So if you're in the workplace and you feel like you need to advance your career, that's fine. It's just not your primary priority. As you advance your career, your primary priority is to be and make a disciple of Jesus in that sphere of influence. If you think you need to spend more time with your family and raising your kids and, and say no to some other influences, that's fine. Parents, your primary priority isn't to be a good parent. It's to be a follower of Jesus and to bring your kids along in that journey. If you're, if you're living with a roommate, your primary priority isn't to get that roommate to do the dishes after you've told them ten times because they leave their side of the apartment messy. It's actually to, to love that person and to help them become a disciple. If they're already a Christian, to help them grow as a disciple. If they're not a Christian, to help them become a disciple. Our priority in life now, if we are disciples of Jesus, is purely to make more disciples. So as a teacher in the school system, you're there to instruct kids. And as you do that, you ought to be praying and looking for opportunities to invite them into a life-giving relationship with Jesus. As an architect, you're designing buildings. That's your work priority, but your kingdom priority is to build good structures that people could flourish in, and then it's to build relationship with your coworkers so that you could show them the love of Jesus. If you're a Lyft driver, your job priority is to get the person safely from point A to point B and get a good rating, right? That's your job priority. But your kingdom priority is to ask that person questions, to get to know them, to show them that you care. If you're a stay-at-home mom, your priority is not to get your kid to take a long nap so that you can have a good quiet time. Though that might be your personal priority. I stay home with my kids on Friday, so I get it. Your, your kingdom priority is to share the love of Jesus with that child. Whatever it is that you do, what, wherever God has called you, whatever sphere of influence you are in, your new priority as a disciple is to both be a disciple of Jesus and to make 
more disciples of Jesus. This is why we exist individually, and this is why we exist corporately. And and I want to start us here this morning as we go into this eight-week series so that we as a church know that there's many good things that we can do in the world for people. And these are the commands of Jesus to care for people in need. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. But that flows out of being and making more disciples. It's all about helping people to grow up in following Jesus. So that's why Park Community Church specifically exists. That's why the Universal Church exists. And that's specifically why we as a congregation exist here in St. Louis Park, is to grow as disciples and help other people become disciples. And so that's what it's all about. It's all about Jesus and our learning to live an abundant life in him and with him and inviting others to come to the party, to come to the feast, to taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, what I want to do this morning is transition from talking about what a disciple is, defining discipleship, to worshiping the master that disciples follow. We always want to do that at Park Community Church. We don't want to leave you, leave you with a list of things to do. We want to leave you gazing at the man who's done it all. Okay, so I don't want to define discipleship anymore. I want to transition into worshiping the one who disciples follow. And we'll do this by singing and taking communion. This is an extension of the sermon. Every week when we sing and when we take communion, it's an extension of the gospel. It's us fixing our eyes on Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so we will transition from talking about discipleship today to being disciples. Communion is both a personal reminder and a public witness that you are a disciple of Jesus. It testifies to your new identity, your new authority, and your new priority. So every week when we gather at Park Community Church, we take communion. We're going to dive into what communion means later on in this sermon series, but here's a quick reminder is that when we take communion weekly at Park Community Church, it's both a personal reminder to you that Jesus is your king that he's given you a new identity, that he is your new authority, and he gives you your priority. But it also testifies to everyone here that you are a disciple of Jesus. Isn't that a powerful thing? One of the things that, that I love about this next portion of the worship gathering that we're about to enter is that I get to see my brothers and sisters confessing that they need Jesus You get to see me, your pastor, confessing that I desperately need Jesus. That I need to be reminded that I have a new identity and that I have a new authority and that I have to live my life with a new priority and I've been empowered to do it by the one Jesus here who in Matthew 28, the last verse 20 says, I am with you always. And so let communion be a reminder to you that he is with you. Let it remind you and also Remember that it's a testimony to those who are gathered here today. So we have two stations here in the front, one in the back. If you are a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, come anytime you feel led during the next set of music and be reminded of your new identity, your new authority, and your new priority. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are, that you lived the perfect life, a life without sin, a life without disobedience, a life never missing the mark, 
And yet you died on a sinner's cross in our place on our behalf. And you overcame sin and death in the grave so that we might have a new life, so that we might have a new identity, so that we might live by a new authority and with a new priority. Lord, I pray that you would remind us of that this morning as we continue our worship gathering by taking communion. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.